Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepip.com using the code PODCAST15. If you have had or known anyone who has had a baby, you will be sure to have heard the term colic at some point. It is seemingly super common, but yet no one really seems to know the best way to manage it or even better to prevent it ever happening in the first place. This week's guest is Philippa Murphy. With an impressive amount of expertise and qualifications within the health and development of children for over 30 years, Philippa is a very keen advocate for natural preventative and remedial treatments for our newborns and the ideal avoidance of a medical pathway for them. And I'm really looking forward to joining you all in learning so much about the cause of colic and management from Philippa today. So welcome Philippa and thank you for coming on to join me despite the time zone difference that we are very cleverly navigating. (laughs) We are cleverly navigating that Pip, I agree. Um, No, you're most welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to today and providing and sharing some more information for your listeners. So yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to pick your brain. So I'm gonna jump straight in Philippa because I want to ask you so much. One of the first things that crops up, I think, when we hear the term colic is often there's different terms. And I wonder if you could clarify if there are any differences and what they may be between the terms colic and reflux. I feel it's all a little bit gray and confusing and I don't really understand myself. Yeah, it's so true. Um, The internet's rife with so many things. It can be hard to navigate. So if we talk about it from the perspective of what most parents are told, rather than from the perspective of what I teach, Mm. then largely currently today, uh, most professionals, health professionals would tell a parent that the cause of colic is unknown. Excuse me. Uh, that you simply have to wait until your baby grows out of it at three months of age. Apparently, there's this magical, miraculous number. Um, and the description that is still used today to define colic is 
and I actually believe this is truly outdated because it was done in 1954. It's held up, um, you know, great research at its time, Dr. Morris Weasel. However, we have changed so many things, you know, the information needs to change, diets change, medications have changed. And, but that definition is really that um, colic is when a baby cries for at least three hours per day, at least three days per week for at least three weeks. Now I know that that's not the case for so many babies mm -hmm. that have colic as it's, as it's known. But parents will also get told that there's numerous contributing factors, um, which is one of the aspects I really do agree with. It's like a jigsaw puzzle mm. for each baby. While they all have a foundational cause for colic, um, you know, that's all based on the digestive biology being pushed beyond what it can cope with, it's caused by many different factors. And then, so that kind of defines colic, but when we talk about in terms of reflux, uh, I think what's really important for the listeners today, Pip, is to just have a differentiation between what it is we're talking about. So mm. guess there's two things. There's gastroesophageal reflux. So depending on what hemisphere you're in, that can be um, shortened to GER or, or GOR, G-E-R or G-O-R. Um, or there's, there's then, sorry, gastroesophageal reflux disease. So GERD or GORD. Now, there is so much confusion on the internet about these two, uh, and you'd think that gastroesophageal reflux disease was rife in our world. However, it's actually quite rare. Um, so I've only had in my 30-year career two babies that I've referred to in the medical pathway because most of our babies are experiencing gastroesophageal reflux. So... And, and that can be healed naturally, you know, which is fabulous news. Mm, really it can also be prevented, you know, it can be prevented, mm. which is just incredible. So when to differentiate, how does a mum tell the difference, a mum and dad tell the difference between, well, is it gastroesophageal reflux disease or are we just, oh, not just, sorry, because that's certainly not a just with everything that parents go through. Um or is it gastroesophageal reflux? And the one major difference is that a baby with gastroesophageal reflux disease will bring up the majority of their milk, whether breast or bottle fed, after every feed. And they will, the biggest thing is failure to thrive. So we're talking about weight gain, okay? And then if it's ongoing, then that may have other ongoing effects as well. Whereas with gastroesophageal reflux, which is what I heal, um, the baby may still reflux after a feed. And actually refluxing is quite natural and normal to a certain level. Um, they may even bring up big posits, but they're still maintaining weight gain. Not always the case. So some people, some, some children can still have gastroesophageal reflux and not be gaining, but it's not a medical pathway. They still don't have gastroesophageal reflux disease. So it really is about um, coming back to the basics for each child and defining, you know, all those causes to define that, if that makes sense. I hope I haven't lost anyone within that. Um, but with, uh, if we're just talking about gastroesophageal reflux disease, so parents will largely get told that the majority of symptoms happen because acid is moving 
up um, the esophagus and the baby's showing the discomfort from that acid uh, and that this happens because our babies are born with an immature digestive system yeah now that's an aspect I don't agree with I think it's an aspect of lack that uh, we need to rise our perception on and actually see our children born with everything they require unless medically complicated um, and come from that point that perspective so but largely parents are told that this immaturity then has a sphincter muscle at the bottom of the esophagus allowing air allowing sorry the acid to travel upward and burn that esophagus so it's a hugely um, taught belief marketed belief and most of these babies will end up going down a pathway a lot of them do uh, for acid inhibitors you know mm -hmm. under the guise that it's the recovery pathway that's available to them and in actual fact acid and immature digestive system a weak sphincter muscle is not the cause of reflux or silent reflux gastroesophageal reflux um, and I know that because I'm healing it so if it was we just couldn't heal it you know mm. so yeah so those kind of define the two and what's widely known out there so interesting Philip I love that you come at this from a really unique angle what has led you to defining these the terms colic and reflux so differently and what would parents be seeing in terms of symptoms that they may then come to you for support with look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mm. Um, so if we just, with what led me there? Uh, desperation. <laughs> um, to be off honest, the way, I was... Off the way. Oh, desperation. I was working 24 hours a day, six days a week with specializing with newborn twins as a maternity nurse so for those of you that don't know that means you live in the parents house from the moment the babies are born if not before so sometimes I would help transition the twins out of the hospitals as well and when I first started you know all the things that I was being told which largely parents are still being told to help their babies that will help their babies are um, they just didn't seem to make the huge difference that we were looking for um, and in some cases they actually caused more symptoms so I came across this out of desperation to stop the crying the pain I also came across this because during that time I had the privilege of sitting on couches lots of times for hours on end often um, with two babies hands on the stomach, feeling the digestive system, recognizing cues, seeing, oh, you do that. Oh, and little things, you know, incidences would happen. And I'd go and say, oh, you burp after that. Okay, do you, what do you do? And from family to family, I then came about that this was a piece of their jigsaw puzzle. So we'll talk about this shortly, probably. Um, but I could at that point with knowing how to distinguish air more in the body and how to release that air I still couldn't heal colic and reflux which by then had become a quite a mission of mine because I couldn't get that nature could get this so wrong I just couldn't believe that we didn't have answers mm. for this it just didn't it's just 
you know so I started looking and searching um so I define colic and reflux silent reflux um, lactose and dairy overload the witching hour um, so-called purple crying uh, even the awful term sleep regression again coming from that aspect of lack um, mm. which is often caused through teething symptoms you know you'll be one would have gone through teething symptoms oh, I'm sure yeah. Pip. oh yeah <laughs> lovely time isn't Thankfully, it hopefully we've got a full set of teeth now oh really wow mm. that's fab good stuff um so yeah form through teething and and some cases of misdiagnosed cow's milk protein intolerances. So that's happening quite a bit, particularly in the UK. Yeah. Um, so I've defined those under the causal term um, that I've coined called digestive overload, which is the cause of all of these symptoms. Now, the medical term for digestive overload in adults is indigestion. It's pretty simple. Or what um, the NHS and many other health bodies call and professionals call functional dyspepsia. Okay. And when we look at the symptoms of all three of these terms, digestive overload, indigestion, dyspepsia, then you can see that the symptoms really do start to kind of overlap. Do you want me to go through the symptoms on all of those, Pip, or just particularly the digestive overload? Symptoms. Yeah, just some what of the key ones that parents might uh, kind of notice and think, oh my gosh, this this isn't normal for, for my child. Some of those kind of key ones that you might see cropping up. Mm. So certainly upper abdominal pain is described within all three aspects. Um, but if we're just looking at digestive overload, you know, uh, babies would experience a lot of hiccups the number one sign so um, that's them trying to release air more of their air they'll have irritability grunting a grunting baby can be in just as much pain as a baby that's screaming they're just communicating it differently um, crying frequent searching for something to suck so they look like they're hungry and they're often getting fed because of that and that's causing a digestive overload scenario Bopping on and off the breast during feeding, gulping their milk, um, seeming hungry but not really hungry, uh, refluxing obviously, wheezy, congested, um, bloated and distended hard tummies. You know, if you look at your child and their chest is this wide but then their stomach comes out beyond mm -hmm. that, then this is not normal. Um, you know, there's a problem there that needs to be looked at and can often be healed naturally you know it's it, it's certainly doable and hernias can be a problem because the stomach muscles don't get a chance to knit with all the bloatedness and the crying um, excessive flatulence constipation short sleep cycles you know 45 minute sleep cycles actually not normal <laughs> um, our babies can sleep a lot better a lot deeper when they the um these symptoms don't exist and even beside these symptoms even if your child's not at that stage of digestive overload when we nurture alongside their digestive capabilities then sleep they should be sleeping a lot you know a lot longer than this 45 minute sleep cycle which never used to exist when I started mm. you know it's something that's evolved over time as being the norm um, but that's my opinion I'm through my clinical research so yeah, so those are the symptoms, arching backwards, you know, not wanting to be laying down. Mm. Parents know, don't they? They know when there's something that's just not quite right and their baby's kind of trying to communicate something, I think. It's our intuition is so powerful. 
Oh, it is. And I think, you know, that saying about intuition, Pip, oh, you'll intuitively know. I think in a way, yes, that's fabulous. We do, honestly, you know, it's, but I also think intuition is birthed. We hold that up to that we will instinctively know, and yet all of, lots of parents feel really lost. I don't mm-hmm. instinctively know. Please give me the education first, yeah. and then I can build upon my intuition within that, you know, within that ability to uh, see my child mm-hmm. intuitively. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of the things I find really interesting, Philippa, is when you talk about the six wind, the six wind cues. Can it's a bit you, of a math twister. Yeah, I know. Six wins. <laughs> can you um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about them, but also how you went to discover them? I know you mentioned there about your your past looking after twins, which must have given you sort of perhaps a start into that. But but yeah, reveal mm. more if you can. Yeah, sure. So these this kind of sits under um, my pathways of healing. So I have two path, main pathways. One is uh, coming from the perspective of the digestive system. So looking at um, uh, the di- yeah, digestive system and its functions and then placing, harmonizing our care practices within that. And then the second pathway um, that coincides with that is Q-led communication and response pathway. You know, and that involves teaching parents how to uh, not only recognize their full array of cues that their child is exhibiting, but also how to um, respond knowingly to those. And calming practices. I mean, we as parents, we hardly get taught how to calm our babies, you know, and a lot of a few of the calming methods we're told actually create more issues. So, um, so when we're looking at the six wind cues, that's kind of the pathway they sit under. Again, yes, you're right. Coming back to, you know, sitting on that couch and feeling those bodies is where I first discovered the six wind cues, stemming from a, a tr- very traditional, long-standing, I don't even know where it came from, I, and to this day I still don't, called the windy stare, um, yeah, sorry, the windy smile. You yeah. know, we all know knew that wind caused the windy smile, and I was like, well, if it causes that, why not other cues? And so I started to see that, yes, there was a relationship between feeling that wind move in the tummy and then the baby's becoming absolutely calm all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, and they'd exhibit these six wind cues. And then through just incidences, I'd then release that wind and they wouldn't have that wind cue anymore. Or it got to a point where I'd release, you know, three burps, four burps, and then the wind cue would disappear. And so over time, going from family to family, really working with this, it took me two years before I became confident that I wasn't going nutty and that I was seeing what I was seeing (laughs) Uh, because no one else was talking about it, you know, and um, I'd certainly never been taught it. And I'm the only one today that actually teaches it. And this is one of my aims is to get this out because it's so Mm -hmm. fundamental to health. Um, so the six wind cues within themselves, I found that our babies have the windy steer, which all babies are, most babies, would you agree, Pip? Most mm. babies come out with that big wide eyed, you know, after the crying, et cetera, or however that, those initial stages happen, big eyes, big mm. wide eyes looking at the world. So my belief there is that as they come through the birth canal, they actually come out into the world of breath. <sighs> And whatever stress they're taking in big breaths 
And so initially their tummy is quite full of gas, mm. quite full of air. And so it causes that mechanism of the cue of the windy steer. Rolling, fluttering eyes is another, smiling, of course. The chewing motion with the tongue poking out, often thought of as a hunger cue. It's not, it's a wind cue. Um, around eight weeks, nine weeks, and this one's really short-lived, but controlled arm movements. So the very first controlled arm movement, movements backwards and forwards that your baby will make. And then um, the most miraculous one to me, and I still, you know, blows my mind really, is uh, that wind is the catalyst to going and garring. You know, it starts our language as a human race and the wind comes up, it vibrates the vocal cords and then, you know, once you've burped them, that no longer happens. And then slowly wind takes a back seat in that. Mm. So, yeah, the the, wind's, the six wind cues, here I am not yeah, able to say it either. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have chosen a different name yeah. <laughs> um but the six wind cues they're really fundamental to like five physiological developments and I'm working um at trying to find a way to watch the brain development and the connections of neurons that go on when these cues are happening um because they really develop vision our vision they develop um jaw muscles and through the smiling, mastication through the chewing and poking out the tongue and learning how to use that mouth. Um, and then of course, the first controlled arm movements and going and garring, you know, it, they're incredible and something I wish all parents knew about because as I said, they're kind of fundamental to knowing how to look after your baby fully. Mm, yeah, no, it's so interesting, isn't it? And actually when you, when you were talking then, I was kind of thinking back to newborn days with my son and and actually those things you say I'm like oh yeah yeah he did that he did that he did that um, and it's just really interesting because nice. at the time you know totally totally overlooked the significance or what what was potentially happening physiologically at, at that time to, mm. to see those external changes so it's really interesting uh, yeah <laughs> um, good and Philippa you mentioned a bit about some of the healing that you do and sort of the staying away from medicine especially as the first line kind of in treatment for these symptoms can you just mm. summarize very briefly some of some of the work that you do do with babies to help to overcome these symptoms for them yes definitely so i would love to be more in the preventative sector and i'm working mm. towards that within my baby cues postnatal um, evolution campaigns um, one of them's about you know teaching it this in pregnancy um, remedial work that I do is worldwide, uh, virtual, online. Anyone can have a consult with me. I've also got books that I sell, masterclasses um, on, on how to burp and, and also avoid colic, coming from that child's digestive development perspective. So parents that come to me are already, they already know something's wrong or they're already in the depths of desperation and despair and mental ill health and sleep deprivation. I mean, it's a really um, awful place to be. I mean, it's estimated that 33 million newborns suffer with colic and 90 million suffer with re reflux a year. Now, they'll wow. be overlapping in those numbers, but that's a year, mm. you know, and most of that, I would say personally, after what I do, is avoidable. I would, you know, wow. I, we could certainly cut those numbers. Um, so parents come to me, some will come where they're at the point where they're being offered acid inhibitors, which is the pathway for reflux. 
uh, things like Losec, Meprazole, Ezimeprazole, um, and they don't want to give it. Uh, others have already gone down that pathway. They'll be having that plus um, maybe milk thickener like Carabel or Gaviscon might be where they're at. And so they're already seeing the adverse effects from those um, happening. So I spend my days weaning babies through off those medications while, um, while also looking at natural remedies too because some of these natural remedies on the market are causing ill effects as well and there's it's one of the changes that I really would love to see happen and I'm going to be proactive about myself is just looking at yeah some of the adverse effects are terrible within those so I spend my days stripping back all of those possible causes while looking at what got the parents there at the first place mm -hmm. making sure baby is baby hungry or are they digestively overloaded because those symptoms are similar um we i teach parents um i work with breastfeeding mums as well and dads we look at well, not dad's breastfeeding, obviously. But well, that's key support. Well, support actually, it. these days it can happen. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, looking at diet, um, because that's a major factor. So we go through the diet, whether it's ingredients from formula as well, um, choice of formula, how much is being fed, is it appropriate to the baby's digestive system? Yeah, so, and so the level of change around depends on how, um, or how long it takes to heal depends on how the situation of a baby, of obviously, you know, and yeah. how how um, affected the digestive system has been for how long. And I guess similar to us as adults, we'll all we'll all heal, we'll all respond in a really individual time scale in a really different way, and and they're just small versions of us. So I, I guess that's kind of similar, right? Yeah, well, similar, yes, to some degree, small versions of us, but that's another thing I'd love to see change, Pip, is especially in the solids field, you know, when we go into weaning our, our children, because I work from newborn to two-year-olds mm -hmm. um, from the digestive perspective, and when we move into that whole, let's treat them like many adults, well, actually, their digestive system operates completely different to ours mm -hmm. for the first two years of life. After that, they then become, let's treat them like many adults to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, before that, that's what I, that's the piece of the puzzle that really needs to change is we need to understand how they are developing. And we know very little comparatively, probably to what we know as adults, just because of how research is obviously. But what we do know can transform, and in my opinion, should transform the way we are you know dealing with our children and caring the care practices that we currently offer my goodness and I'm sure any parents some of them anyway currently with, <laughs> yeah any parents who are currently <laughs> navigating a colic journey will absolutely echo what what your vision is and and your mission um in terms mm. of things that you would like to see change Philippa you mentioned a couple already but in mm. terms of healing but ideally I know your mission is preventative what kind mm. of main things would would you like to see change if you had that magic wand? Oh gosh, I'd have like ten magic wands. Um, <laughs> I would love, I would love prenatally, obviously, for more extensive education mm. to be happening in the prenatal stage, so we can uh, under we have our parents advert, you know, um, what's the word I want? 
I'll just say able, able to calm their babies, understand what's happening and actually give them the solutions. You know, why do we hold There are a number of solutions that I have that I willingly let go of because I don't believe that just because I'm a health professional, you have to come to me and I'm going to retain all of those. I believe there's a lot of things that we could, we could certainly be teaching our parents, you know, um, things like, I don't know, how to, what you do with a hernia if, if your child starts to have a hernia at home. You know, it doesn't need a doctor. In fact, most, most babies won't get anything done at the doctors for a hernia, but you can help it at home. So there's lots there. I'd love more preventative education to be uplifted mm. for sure. I would love all parents, another one, would be to be taught about their child's six cues and how to burp their baby appropriately, which I have a method called Nature's Wind Sequence. It's a 10-step method um, on how to release bad air from the stomach so that you stop excess retention of air going through the intestines and bowel, which causes a lot of these issues. Um, so it's the number one cause of digestive overload, that overfeeding, tongue and lip ties, um, and unbalanced enzymes within the body and hormones. Um, so yeah, that being taught, and I teach that through my burping and gas masterclass, which is available online, you can actually watch it being done. Uh, and then another one that is just a little side one is I'd love parents to stop holding their baby upright for 30 minutes after a feed, please. <laughs> it doesn't work. In fact, it makes matters worse. Um, yes, I know our babies can reflux, particularly because the wind is stuck underneath that milk and they've got a lot of air in there because they're not burping enough and it needs to come out. But holding our babies upright means they're not releasing that air which means they're retaining more air so and I know that every parent gets told to do that it's a widely known thing mm -hmm. um, but it really doesn't help them so yeah yeah and probably one other is <laughs> oh yes all parents sitting there with their yeah. baby going I can't move Goodness. don't yeah. move I've got minutes, half an hour right? on the clock when I could be sleeping yes and yet we should be ideally we would be proactive and using different positions to and calming methods to release that air, which is what I teach, you know, um, from the burping perspective. And then, of course, I would love, excuse me, as standard, all babies to be checked for tongue and lip tie at birth yeah. by a paediatric dentist who is professionally trained mm. to do that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a topic that lots of mums that I see and I support would also love a big improvement on. I think it's a, a real a real lacking area isn't it i think for sure that tongue and lip tie um, and we mm. see it so much in the uk for sure so yes much. yes so much yes um philippa you have so much wisdom and obviously a lot of passion in this topic um if people want to come and find out more about what you offer and how you can support them and their baby where can they find you so uh, the website is babycues.com um you can follow me on instagram uh it's babycues uh, underscore nurture with nature and I'm on Facebook as well um, I and I've I'm also starting this postnatal evolution mm -hmm. so there's four campaigns within that um, and you can find uh, that on the baby cues through the babycues.com website uh, and the four campaigns are a prenatal campaign once again towards that education, colic and reflux campaign, so coming back into the understanding of digestive overload, 
uh, a burping campaign. Whoever thought we would need one, but we do. <laughs> and um, and then a solids campaign. So really looking at nutritional aspect because I'm also qualified within that too. So um, and harmonizing harmonizing comfort for our babies through that. Oh, amazing. So, so interesting. I am really excited to see how, how it all unfolds and how these campaigns can, can help the world and solve so many parents and babies problems. Before I let you go, Philippa, could you leave us with three top tips for parents on the topic of this? Uh, seek help early. Nice. You yeah. know, seek help early. Um, don't question yourself and if you don't tip number two if you don't get the help you need from the person you go to see or it doesn't make sense to you or your gut says no there's got to be more or they give you a medication for a prescription go home have a look at the side effects of that medication and then make your decision okay be informed being informed is being the best advocate that you can be for your child uh, and what would be another tip it's probably just um coming back to going if because tongue and lip ties aren't a standard practice uh if, if you think and i've got a tongue and lip tie booklet i've got quite a few booklets available on my website um, about different topics like medication during inductions and cesareans um but within with it not being standard practice to get a tongue and lip tie checked if you're having feeding issues like latching on issues, mm. uh, perhaps you feel that baby's drinking the bottle a bit irregular if you're bottle feeding, then go and see a paediatric dentist. No offence to lactation consultants. Some of them are not trained in tongue and lip ties. It really is a choice for us health professionals to either train in that or not, whereas a paediatric dentist gets trained on it. And he not only sees it from a feeding perspective, he sees it from the teeth development perspective, which you get the whole picture. And they're the ones that do the procedure. So, you know, you might as well go to the right professional. That's so interesting. Philippa, thank you so much for your time. I could put your brains for, for, you know, the entire of my evening and your morning um, on this topic. <laughs> but thank you so much. And if you are struggling with these symptoms in your baby, then, of course, head over to Baby Cues to find out what Philippa has to offer. Thank you very much and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Pat. You too. Before you head off, I just need to tell you something. 68% of you who listen to my podcast have not hit the subscribe button. So can you do me a favor? If you have ever enjoyed listening and hit subscribe now, it makes a huge difference and helps me to keep bringing you episodes. The bigger the podcast, the bigger the guests and the more women we can reach and help. Thank you for subscribing and I look forward to chatting again soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.